So just to begin, you can start by introducing yourself and then we can talk about uh, the politics of Pakistan. Uh, my name is Adam Paul and I'm based in Lahore and I work for International Marxist Tendency and we are working in Pakistan to build a Marxist organization for a socialist revolution and socialist transformation of society in this country. And uh, uh, our ideas are those ideas of, the Mark, of Marx, Engels, Lenin, and Trotsky. And we are building an organization on similar lines as Lenin built the Bolshevik Party in Russia and carried out a socialist revolution in 1970, 1917 under the leadership of Lenin and Trotsky and the Bolshevik Party. Great, thanks so much. And uh, I guess to begin, my main kind of question or, or topic that I'm curious about um, is the vote of no confidence against Prime Minister uh, Imran Khan. I'm curious if you can explain kind of from your perspective, from a Marxist perspective, the, the lead up, as you did in an article uh, for In Defense of Marxism, of what led to this situation, what led to this no confidence vote, um, you know, the role of the United States, I guess, in, in Pakistan's politics as well, and how this potentially plays a role. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious just to explain, because this is such recent news that I think a lot of people in the U.S. don't know exactly what's happened and are, are curious. Yes, sir. Uh, the recent update is that uh, Imran Khan has been ousted from power and uh, he's no longer now the prime minister of the country. A vote of no confidence was held uh, in the parliament in Islamabad last night and uh, uh, with a majority and uh, they were able to oust prime minister uh, Imran Khan. And tomorrow there will be this, uh, a new vote for a new prime minister and Quite hopefully, Shehbaz Sharif uh, will be elected as the Prime Minister of the country. So both Imran Khan and Shehbaz Sharif are, uh, and other parties which are part of this process are <clears throat> all right-wing parties and uh, are part of the ruling class of this country. And all this, uh, and there is a huge drama actually last night happened because Imran Khan and his uh, party was not aligned uh, to for the vote of no confidence to happen uh, actually in the parliament and they were delaying the procedure actually they in fact they delayed it for many weeks uh, because the no uh, confidence motion was tabled in 8th of march actually and uh, under the constitution and uh, within two weeks it should be voted upon but they were unconstitutionally delaying it and in the end uh, uh, opposition parties went to the uh, but, but before that, they unconstitutionally dissolved the parliament and uh, dissolved the uh, provincial assembly, tried to dissolve the provincial assembly, then uh, announced new elections. But then opposition parties went to the Supreme Court and got a decision in their favor, uh, which said that uh, the voting should happen. And uh, yesterday it was uh, the decision that uh, 10, at 10 in the morning, the voting, the session should uh, start and the voting should happen. But in the end, the speaker uh, was from PTI, yet he still was not following the Supreme Court decision. And the date was now going to change at uh, late night, uh, 12 o'clock. So then the, for the first time or uh, very, uh, 
few times we have seen that Supreme Court started opening at 12 o'clock in the night. And uh, it was being said that speaker might get arrested because uh, he has done the contempt of court and not about, which was a huge, huge thing. So then the speaker uh, was got afraid of getting arrested and he ran away and <clears throat> resigned from the post and gave his position to another person of opposition party and then so there was a lot of drama but the real news today is published in bbc urdu in which uh, they are talking about uh, that uh, act, uh, the actual thing which is what is your question that what was the actual thing going happen so it was actually the army who will become the army chief of the country because that is the most powerful position in the pakistan and prime minister president minister chief ministers that are all secondary or you can say mostly puppets uh, in this country and have not much power the real power lies with army chief so all this drama all this political maneuvering and fight and conspiracy theories and uh, allegations and counter allegations was around the appointment of the army chief so there were two contenders and the sitting one wanted an extension and the other people who were uh, candidates for the job, they were uh, maneuvering that somehow. So the BBC Urdu actually has reported that uh, in the end, uh, Imran Khan late night uh, issued a notification for the removal of the army chief, uh, which was not actually uh, intended and was not uh, obliged by his own uh, secretaries and defense secretary and other things. And then <clears throat> the armed forces intervened and took the things in their own hand and then managed somehow to get what they wanted and ousted Imran Khan from the prime minister house and he went back to his home. So this was all the drama going on and this is the real power struggle going on and this has nothing to do with the message of the country the working class of the country or the people of the country the conspiracy theories and counter allegations these are just like uh, gimmicks and uh, uh, lies and conspiracies and just to hide the real sentiments which is a naked power struggle between two factions of the state Thank you so much for that. And, and as you wrote in your article, um, you talked about the army being the real power behind the scenes in, in all of this. So the army is deciding who gets to remain in power and who doesn't. And, and how do you think the army played a role in this, in this crisis? And as you're saying, you know, it, it, it's triggered by Imran Khan's decisions about the army. And, and so how do you think that they kind of stepped in in order to remove uh, this government? This is nothing new in Pakistan and since uh, last 75 years since this uh, country came into being, this is happening time and again. There has been many martial laws in countries and half of the period of the country is being under military dictatorships and generals ruling the country. And when they are not in uh, direct rule, they are indirectly controlling all these things. So all of these things is very common knowledge in Pakistan and everybody 
knows internationally as well that the army is a very strong uh, position and similarly if you read uh, analysis on different websites or uh, papers or talk shows everyone is talking about that even when in 2018 imran khan came into power so from the very first day he is being called as a selected prime minister and selected means that he has been selected by the army is chosen by the generals and uh, he was uh, propped up for many years uh, as a opposition leader through media campaigns through ground road uh, grassroots sports and uh, through uh, different politicians in different cities being transferring their loyalties from other parties to imran khan under the pressure of uh, army so this is this was common knowledge was happening in broad daylight and through that maneuvering and uh, uh you can say managed elections or uh, rigged elections he came to power in 2018 and at that time he was in very good books and uh, was in very close relations it was being called that they are on the same page but then they developed differences between themselves and for the next transfer of the power and uh, all this uh, now the opposition parties are doing the same thing and they are now in good books and Uh, so this is uh, like one eighty degree, uh, and uh, there is this is nothing new in Pakistan. And you you talked about in the article how it it kind of is based upon the president deciding whether or not to give a, a renewal of the term of the the army chief or whether to pick a new army chief. So there's kind of a struggle over who's going to be in charge of the army, basically. ultimately i think as you as you kind of conclude in your analysis it doesn't matter for the working class of of pakistan who's in charge because all the parties are uh, it's all the ruling class it's all the bourgeoisie but i wonder what the what they do disagree on and what the kind of ruling class is having disputes about like would anything change if one person in the army came to power or another came to power and how has because you write about how Uh, how khan kind of represented himself as a new person in politics he would he be new he you know be a change blah 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 what is the opposition saying that they're going to do new instead of imran khan uh, and how are they trying to present themselves as a new better alternative uh, uh, better alternate uh, imran khan's last 3 and a half years has been a disaster for the country if you see the economy a 50% depreciation of the currency in last three and a half years and on more than 4% in just last one month and inflation is now officially at around 12.7% but unofficially or in reality it is quite double from that and similarly unemployment uh, rose to highest level unprecedented level in history millions of people uh brought out from jobs and poverty hunger and disease reached unprecedented level so there is no uh, no point to prove that imran khan is a failure or uh, he has been a disaster it is quite everybody can, even blinds can see that that uh, he has failed so that is why actually imran khan tried to uh, during his power struggle and for uh, uh, trying to clinging with power he tried to mobilize uh, people around him through calling it uh, american conspiracy and things like that 
but in the end he couldn't uh, get any big crowds around him uh first he announced that around one i will gather around 1 million people in islamabad and show my strength and in the end he uh, got just 5000 cheers for uh, the people who were arriving and because he was in power so in pakistan when you are in power you can uh, force uh, government servants and uh, public sector employees to come to attend this public meeting of the prime minister or the chief minister so despite using all the power all the resources all the money he had he couldn't gather more than 2000 people and similar is the situation with the opposition parties they have uh, in the previous decades they had uh, uh, different sections of society supporting these parties but in recent years they have lost their support and they are also hanging in the air and they couldn't also gather much uh, big gatherings like the people's party tried uh, to have a long march from karachi to islamabad but not more than few thousand people joined them and mostly were party activists or hired people who were being paid to come to attend the rally and giving a very high amount of money similarly Shabashri's party also tried to organize uh, public meetings, but not more than few thousand people came out. So everybody can see that uh, all parties are failures. And Imran Khan, who posed himself as a new entrant, but uh, uh, all his team members, all his ministers, all his advisors were uh, most of them were old people, corrupt politicians from other parties who had changed their loyalties. And similarly, his policies were not any different from the previous uh, governments, like following the dictates from IMF, World Bank, uh, economic policy. He was uh, appointing finance ministers on the dictations of uh, IMF and World Bank, and they were not members of his party. They were coming from uh, IMF side. And similarly, governor of State Bank is an employee of IMF, which uh, uh, was appointed by Ram Khan. And similarly, many other policies on ground rather as a, one of the most disastrous policy was the privatization of health sector uh, where all the public sector hospitals are being privatized at a very very huge level so the already 80 percent of uh, population in pakistan doesn't have access to scientific health care and now uh, what remained and public sector hospitals were already in a very very poor and a bad shape uh, you can see two patients or three patients on single bed, no medicines, no doctors in uh, far off areas, and, and uh, no uh, equipment. So, in a very bad shape. And now, even those very poor facilities have been privatized and has been snatched from people. So, if any person from working class or even middle class gets sick, or uh, he can't be, get treatment anywhere unless he has huge amounts of money. Uh, the prices of medicines reached like 400 percent 500 percent rise many times in previous years so all uh, there was a huge disaster and uh, people were really suffering in all these years so there was no uh, big argument needed or no big political discussion needed that imran khan is a failure and he's a big disaster Thank you. And, and another topic I'd like to kind of focus on is you wrote in the article a lot, really in depth and really revealing about the IMF's role in Pakistan. So the, the IMF basically announced that they would stop giving loans to Pakistan unless a new government was formed, which, which seems like a pretty, you know, outright interference in the politics of the country. 
in addition, as you as you write, they privatized the or they took control of the central bank uh, of Pakistan, um, and they already, as you wrote, had control because the governor of the bank was an IMF lackey. But you know, let's talk a little bit about what the IMF, its role in Pakistan, what it's been doing, um, and how much it's really destroyed the economy and. Uh, and how much it's destroyed, you know, any any potential government support for the people. You mentioned privatizing uh, the health industry, but you know, what role does the IMF play in consistently bailing Pakistan out of its financial crisis, but in the process really destroying the country? Yes, yes, uh, yes. Uh, Pakistan is now the topmost uh, country in the world which has got the highest number of. Uh, Packages from IMF, I think around 22. Argentina and Pakistan are also almost on the same level. And uh, in all these packages, they have just uh, uh, apparently they say that they are going to bail out uh, the economy or they are going to assist the economy with the finance and uh, in emergency needs. But in fact, they are uh, bloodsuckers or the, the on interest through interest payments and through other controls. Uh, they uh, this is just like uh, a colonization, uh, you can say, or an imperialist policy in which the country is dictated uh, through all these uh, arrangements or packages. And 50% uh, uh, of the budget today, the Pakistan goes in debt payments. So when you get a loan so on a very high interest rate and the economy doesn't have enough money to pay back the loan and interest rate, so they get uh new loans to pay the interest and then they get new loans then to pay the interest and this is a whole cycle uh, an unending cycle and all this burden is uh, on the poor class on the working class which has no access to health no access to education to uh, poverty or living in extreme poverty living in extreme misery and destitution and if you see that over the period of time there have been huge taxation uh, Pakistan is one of the country which has a huge uh, ratio of indirect taxation. Uh, if you see that uh, the taxes on the rich are at a minimum level or almost at a negligible level in Pakistan, either it is uh, corporates or feudals or banks or multinationals or big capitalists, uh, the income tax, the direct taxation, most of the taxation or the revenue generation is from indirect taxation, which means that the working class, the poor class, gets uh, heavily taxed. For example, there is huge tax on the uh, petrol and diesel uh, when uh, you get it or electricity or uh, daily use items like tea or bread or other things you use. So there is indirect taxation and almost 70% or 80% of the revenue is generated through indirect taxation. And there is very, very negligible tax on the rich people. And uh, being rich in Pakistan is a lot, uh, a lot more uh, luxury than uh, in America or Europe because at least there's there are some taxes. Though there are also people dodging uh, the regimes and getting offshore accounts, but in Pakistan it is uh, very easy. And uh, similarly, the uh, policies, the a whole of the uh, uh, wealth produced in Pakistan, most of it ends in. Uh, either the interest payments of IMF, World Bank, and other financial institutions, or there is loot and plunder 
uh, by the local ruling class and they stash it in Swiss banks or European and American banks and they continue uh, to implement IMF policies. And similarly, the national budget of Pakistan is dictated by IMF. The even the provincial budgets of uh, different provinces are dictated by IMF and IMF employees actually draft the whole budget and decide that which tax needed to be increased, which tax needed to be reduced and which policy, financial policy. And even the finance minister is appointed by the IMF and he decides that what uh, uh, expenditures needs to be done and what is not to be done. Similarly, uh, uh, there have been many other uh, privatization policy you can, uh, was first introduced in 1988 and that was on, also on the dictates of IMF. There has been huge privatization going on for last 30 or more years and uh, banks have been privatized and uh, telecommunication sector, power generation sector and many other sectors have been uh, privatized at a very, very cheap prices. They were public recently PI, Pakistan International Airlines is being privatized now, railways is being privatized, and millions and millions of people have lost their jobs in the process. And out of this process, what happens that uh, the private sector or the multinationals or the bosses got huge, huge profits out of that. And those departments are ruined and they are used for blood sucking uh, of the consumers or the common people and uh, their livelihoods are destroyed. And uh, there's a huge damage to the, like the health sector, almost the hospitals will be closed for the poor people. Similarly, railways and uh, airlines and other sectors uh, will not be uh, able to use for our common people. So this is the whole project. This is all dictated by IMF. And for example, there is a huge privatization started in 90s of the energy sector or the power generation sector, where uh, private uh, companies were allowed to uh, for the first time to install power generation plants in Pakistan. And uh, there were such uh, uh, corrupt uh, contracts, or you can say such uh, uh, contracts in the favor of companies that even if those co uh, companies are not producing electricity, then even government was uh, forced to pay them uh, money because they have brought foreign investment in Pakistan. And now, and, and also those uh, power generation plants were entitled uh, to import uh, oil on uh, without any duties and custom duties and charges. So now what these uh, power generation plants are doing is so that they are importing oil uh, without any duty or taxes and selling that oil in the market on uh, high rates and, and, and also not producing electricity because they are getting money just for installing the capacity and not producing the electricity. So there is a huge circular debt in Pakistan that is called, and uh, the and the consumer, electricity consumers has to pay all these expenses and loot and plunder off. So there, in every sector, then there was a Chinese uh, uh, investment on very high interest rates and everything. So Pakistan economy is just like a hostage of all these international financial institutions. and. Uh, the ruling class just takes a cut in that, a kickbacks and commission, and uh, common people have to suffer. Well, thank you so much for that. And that, I think, explains a little bit more about the IMS role in the situation. 
kind of the next thing you discussed in the article was the American role in, in this. So, I mean, of course, like the American role has been through the IMF predominantly, but you talk about Afghanistan, for example, as kind of a critical moment in this. And the Americans, you know, believe that the Pakistan did not really take their side fully in the situation in Afghanistan, fully against the Taliban, for example. So how has, how has this played a role in the Americans sort of wanting to punish the government to kind of assert, you know, fuller control? And how is this kind of representing a, a conflict over whether Pakistan will be fully under the control of the United States? So you talk about the opposition faction has recently been appealing to the United States and saying the U.S. can help solve our, our crisis, the U.S. can come bail us out. So yeah, what has the role of America been in this crisis? First of all, America, for the last 75 years, American imperialism has uh, played a very uh, important role in Pakistan. And uh, Pakistan uh, has been used by American imperialism for its policies in the whole South Asian region and Central Asia and Middle East and uh, uh, against China as well. So Pakistan has a long history, for example, the uh, dollar jihad in uh, Afghanistan against the Soviet Union. Uh, so that was uh, mainly sponsored by Americans and CIA. And Pakistan was fighting on behalf of Americans and was the as, as main post uh, uh, or from where the, this jihad started in, uh, in Afghanistan. And uh, Americans at that time pumped huge amounts of money and dollars in Pakistan. And uh, they needed a strong army and strong institutions. And th at that time, that was the martial law dictatorship of uh, General Zia, uh, which had ousted Bhutto and hanged uh, him, uh, who was elected prime minister at that time, through the courts, actually, uh, at that time. So the Americans have a very long history there. And, that continued for many years. And then in 2001, we started the war, uh, so-called war on terror was unleashed in uh, Afghanistan and uh, the NATO forces and uh, American forces uh, landed in Afghanistan. And at that time, Pakistan was also considered as an ally or a NATO ally at that time and was huge amounts of money was being invested in that war. And that war money also, was coming to Pakistan, and at that time, the Pakistani ruling class was bathing in dollars, was uh, <laughs> was very happy and was overjoyed. And at that time, the real estate sector in Pakistan was expanding. Pakistani economy at one point reached very high levels of growth at that time. And the finance sector was expanding and many other things. And black economy in Pakistan is a big issue, and that was growing at that time. So after the withdrawal of American forces from Afghanistan or a gradual withdrawal over the period of time in which dollars stopped uh, and was coming less and less, Pakistan economy was also feeling the hate. And Americans were also annoyed because they were losing the war and they were getting a humiliating defeat in Afghanistan. So it was not because of Taliban, but the general situation in Afghanistan and was there a general hatred amongst public and population against imperialist intervention and the war which has killed hundreds of thousands and displaced millions. So there was a general hatred and uh, anger against that war which led to the downfall and 
crashes of US imperialism. And uh, in the end, Americans were uh, making, uh, talking with Taliban and the Pakistani state to uh, rescue them out of this situation and give them a face saving or which they could claim as victory. But in the end, that couldn't be realized. And uh, in the end, we saw the very chaotic scenes in Kabul in which uh, the American embassy in uh, Kabul had to be evacuated in emergency to helicopters on the rooftop. And many people were killed. And uh, uh, that was a very chaotic scene in Kabul. So everybody in the whole world could see. Uh... Hello? Yes, everybody in the sea, world could see the relative weakness and importance of American imperialism. So the Americans were not happy that the Pakistani ruling class or the army leadership hasn't done their job. And it was very common in Pakistan for last almost 10 years or even more that Americans are saying, do more, do more, that we are paying you, we are giving you dollars, we are giving you strategic support, whatever you want, but uh, get us out of this. So all of these situations were uh, creating, uh, uh, you can say, rifts between the American imperialism and the Pakistani ruling class. Uh, which, uh, and they had very strong relations in the past. The Americans had relied heavily on the Pakistani ruling class to do their dirty work and do their imperialist vote. Uh, but whenever they saw someone is not fit for their job, just like when General Zia came into power, it was clear that uh, Americans were supporting him and when Bhutto was hanged, it was openly called that General Zia had the support of American imperialism. But when General Zia's plane was uh, uh, crashed and he died in a plane crash, it was also said that Americans uh, were behind that. So there, Americans uh, have been behind a uh, regime change it's a long history, and today also you can see that uh, people are alleging that, uh, and Imran Khan is uh, publicly saying that Americans are behind the regime change, which is uh, quite possible. But there are internal rifts as well among the ruling class. There is a rift among the ruling class of Pakistan as well, and there is a rift between Pakistani ruling class and the American imperialism. And there are rifts in, uh, and also there now is a China factor also there which was not there in the past and uh, Chinese ruling class, China is a capitalist country and the project they have in Pakistan is we uh, have uh, written that that is an imperialist uh, project so there are rifts between different powers in the world now there are rifts in the ruling class and at the end of the day it represents the crisis of the capitalist system on which this whole edifice is based and uh, the it is the crisis of the capitalist system in the whole world where the economy in America is weakening, uh, there is a finance, uh, financial crisis in America, there is a, a crisis in the American ruling class as well. We, we saw in the uh, events of Trump and Biden and attacks on the American Congress, and there have been huge movements like the Black Lives Matter and other. So American imperialism as a whole is weakening, and they are not able to dictate in uh, their terms in just like a smooth way in the past. And there are people uh, not happy with them and they are talking against them, their own people talking against them. So this is the kind of situation which shows the weakness of the capitalist system and weakness of the ruling class as a whole. Yeah, thanks so much for that. And 
I guess with that too, I'm curious about the role, you talk a little bit in the article about the role that the Russia and Ukraine conflict has played in, in this crisis and kind of the positions of, of the, the uh, ruling class and the political ruling class in Pakistan on, the, on Russia and the, the Ukraine crisis. So yeah, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit more about how this factored in um, the, the different positions that are being taken and are still being taken now um, in rhetoric. Uh, yes, uh, there, there has been a person I told you that there were rifts between the American imperialism and the Pakistani ruling class over issues in Afghanistan and they are not new. They were like uh, 10, 12 years or even more. They are continuous since the Afghan, Afghanistan uh, war on terror started. Uh, the Americans actually forced Pakistan to enter into that and Pakistan had uh, different opinions like they said that before these people were called jihadis or uh, were called holy warriors by the Americans and now you are calling them terrorists. So uh, though we agree, Pakistani General Musharraf at that time who was the ruler who agreed with them but he said that it will not be easy to conduct this operation on ground and uh, the change of tactics will be uh, they saying difficult or maybe they were asking more money for that. But uh, with the passage of time, these conflicts grew and grew and over the period of time, American imperialism was not happy with the Pakistani ruling class. And in the meantime, we see that India uh, has shifted its policy as well and is now more close to America than ever in the past. Actually, before 90s and before the collapse of Soviet Union, India was uh, uh, an ally of Soviet Union and was not in the American sphere of influence. And that gave Pakistan much more leverage and much more uh, uh, closeness to Americans in the whole region. But after India getting closer to America, Americans changed their policy and their emphasis and uh, uh, their whole base was uh, around India. And to see the Trump's visit uh, when in India, in Modi's rule, and Modi was supporting Trump's election campaign in Texas at one time. So Pakistan's uh, position uh, was weakened at that time. Pakistani ruling class tried to show their importance to America by getting more closer ties with China, with, with which Americans were not happy, <clears throat> but were tolerating that. And similarly, to show that Americans, their uh, importance, they tried to visit Russia and Russians were used, uh, uh, needed actually uh, this to stage their own uh, authority and all that. So uh, on the day when Russian uh, army invaded Ukraine at that time, Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan was in Moscow meeting with Putin. And uh, now Imran Khan is saying, Ran Khan is saying that I am being ousted from power because I was in Russia and Americans were not happy with that and this and that. So he's trying to build up a conspiracy theory and trying to talk about uh, patriotism and uh, independence and all that. But this is all hollow claims and uh, just uh, mockery, hypocrisy and mockery and, and nothing to do in reality. He has served the American imperialism and uh, IMF most, more than any other ruler in the past. And he has been more subservient, more uh, 
uh, slave-like uh, position than anyone in the past. And in the future also he will do that, but just to prop up uh, some sport around him, to right-wing uh, base, uh, middle-class base, and to rally around him, he's using this uh, lies and uh, deceit around him, which has uh, no basis uh, in reality. And he's more subservient to American criticism, just like the opposition and all that. Just is that that he has been uh, failed in last three and a half years, and there have been huge hatred and uh, anger in the masses against them. And uh, actually, the ruling class was also fearing that there can be a mass movement uh, due to inflation and uh, unemployment and other issues. And through a change of face or change of government, they are using it also using it as a safety wall. Uh, that people feel like a relief that a new prime minister has come and things might change or might improve and uh, all these things as well. But similarly, they had all differences among themselves and their differences with American imperialism as well. Thank you. So it is all contradictions in the society which are now coming to the fore, which were piling up for over the many years. Thanks, and I'm curious to talk, I guess, in concluding a little bit about the working class movement in, in Pakistan against uh, against all of this, against imperialism, against the ruling class. So you talked in your article a little bit about, uh, you know, protests that have been going on in the past couple of months with 30,000, 40,000 workers protesting um, and not, not receiving pensions, demanding higher wages. So tell us a little bit about these protests and then also you know, what has been the reaction with respect to like protesting uh, against this political crisis? Has there been a wide scale protest to resist the political games of, of the ruling class of the United States? Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about the people's resistance. Oh no, the working class in Pakistan uh, has a very revolutionary tradition. There was a huge revolutionary movement in 1968-69, which ousted a general Ayub uh, at that time, who was a dictator for more than a decade at that time. And there was a general strike in uh, March 1969, which ended in the ousting of power of General Ayub. And since then, there have been huge mass movements, protests, strikes. There uh, against the Ziyaz, General Ziyaz dictatorship. There was very, very militant struggles by the working class and strikes and. Uh, very heroic acts of sacrifices at that time. Similarly, in General Musharraf's time, we saw the movement of telecommunication workers strike uh, in 2005 by the telecommunication workers and many other struggles by uh, other struggles. So in the last three years, there have been many big struggles and strikes and movements against the PTI government uh, by the workers uh, in different sectors of uh, uh, in PIA, Pakistan International Airlines, they have been very, very militant strikes and movements, protests against privatization and attacks by the ruling class. Similarly, in railways, there have been huge protests and movements and struggles. Railway workers have a very militant traditions in, uh, not only in Pakistan, but in the whole Indian subcontinent, because before uh, trade unions in railway exist before the partition or before the uh, independence uh, of the subcontinent. and. Uh, uh, actually, they were very advanced, uh, uh, played a very advanced role in the independence movement as well. Similarly, there have been strikes in uh, private sector as well for higher wages. And then pensioners are on the uh, move because 
Pakistani government under PTI has been trying to end the pension system in Pakistan, which will affect like millions of uh, pensioners and uh, widowers uh, across the country, and they will lose their only livelihood and will die in destitution. So there have been protests and movements by the pensioners and all that. The last two years, what we have seen is uh, that public sector uh, employees from different uh, departments, either they were from health or uh, uh, from uh, education department, school teachers and others, or different other departments came uh, together and formed an alliance which was called AGIGA or All Government Employees Grand Alliance. And that was a countrywide alliance and that had uh, uh, in, in provinces as well and at the federal level. Federal sector employees and uh, provincial department employees, they all came together. And in, uh, in February last year, they held a huge protest in Islamabad in which around 30,000 or 40,000 workers participated and they were asking for our, around 35% increase in their wages. And uh, there was huge tear gas uh, thrown at them. They were beaten by police and they were tortured by police outside the parliament house in Islamabad. And only 30,000 or 40,000 could reach, but even, uh, that was the gathering of 30, 40,000 in the provinces or in the cities. There were hundreds of thousands were mobilizing, uh, but all could, uh, were not going to Islamabad and they were protesting in their own cities. So in the end, they were successful in many of their demands. And uh, later, uh, there were protests in the provincial headquarters as well. And that continued uh, protests continued for whole year. And now, in February this year as well, there was a huge protest in Islamabad, and a large number of people also gathered there. And most of their demands were also uh, accepted. And now there are protests in uh, in provincial capitals for implementation of those demands. And uh, there has been huge mobilization of workers around these uh, demands for higher wages. Then in Karachi, we saw the movement of private sector workers in industrial areas of Karachi like Kurangi and Landi. And they were asking to, for a rise in the minimum wage, which is a very shamefully low minimum wage uh, by, uh, by the government, which is uh, not covers actually the just the meal of one person or two person of a family for one month. And apart from that, you have to pay electricity bill, you have to pay rent and other things. So that is very shameful. Uh, wages and even that is not implemented in private sector. For example, if 17,000 rupees per month is announced as a monthly minimum wage, but the factory owners are, uh, are paying 10,000, 12,000 rupees, which is, uh, and for a 12 hours day, if uh, without any holidays or vacations or anything. So that is a very brutal uh, conditions in uh, Pakistani private sector. And these private uh, sector is working for the multinationals across the world, like uh, Zara or uh, H&M and, uh, M and uh, many other big brands uh, like Nike and Adidas. And uh, there are all the brands in the textile brands or other uh, sports wear and many others are getting their productions from Pakistan. But uh, those products, you know that uh, how expensive they are in America or Europe. But here the workers get less than a dollar or even in cents. Uh... So 
the condition of the private sector was not very good so there were protests in karachi uh, last year in august and uh, 30th august our organization red workers front organized a protest and then there were other protests and after that uh, wages were increased uh, in many sectors uh, uh, especially in karachi and uh, different parts uh, industrial areas near karachi wages were raised but still there are many uh, millions of workers across the country who are working uh, in very very poor working conditions no union rights no uh, social security and no health benefits no education for children and others and living in very poor conditions so the struggle continues and the working class is and as far as the political situation is concerned i think the working class has played a very very conscious role in that uh, a, a very le- high level of consciousness that they have not supported any political party in all this uh, power struggle and they can understand that this is not for the <coughs> for them that uh, they are fighting they are fighting for getting into power either they are uh, putting forward allegations of american conspiracy of uh, military intervention of this and that this is all just fake and a uh, hoax and working class understand that that if even shibashi comes to power or imran khan returns to power they will not get better wages they will not get better living conditions they will not get uh, uh, respite from inflation which is very very high so they are indifferent to the whole situation and we haven't seen any big protests or participation from the working class whatsoever in whole situation even the uh, uh, imran khan doesn't rep- represent any section of the working class he represented a very small layer of urban middle class youth uh, petty bourgeois youth and similarly shivasharif's party pmln has bases in the industrialists and uh, shopkeepers and uh, petty bourgeois middle class uh, traders and uh small industries so they do not represent uh, working class and at at the moment there is a huge vacuum that there is no political party in the country that represents the working class of this country or have a political working class doesn't have a political representative at this point and this vacuum will not be left forever and that might be filled in one way or another Well, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with me about the situation. We'll definitely continue following it as it develops because it it is a you know breaking news situation right now. But thank you so much for giving this in-depth analysis of also, you know, that's all kind of the the ruling class going at one another and the workers issues are still the most important. The problem of imperialism is still very much under the surface and you have a Uh, and sorry to cut you if you look at the lifestyle of these uh, party leaders you will be amazed and even i think uh, trump or biden will be really surprised to see or they might know that they are living in more like a royal family and even more luxurious life if you see the house of imran khan or uh, shahbaz sharif or zardari so these are huge mansions in every city and extreme luxury on the and on the other hand the people who are they allegedly represent are living in extreme poverty and destitution yeah that's it's a horrible situation as you pointed out in your article the inequality has only gotten worse because of the 
the contest between the ruling class in Pakistan. So thank you so much again. You know, this was a, a lot of good information. I learned a lot from, from this conversation. So uh, yeah, thanks so much and, uh, and take care, stay safe. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye.